Radio. Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse time frames in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm, I'm here to help. My, my name is Nicholas Jensen. And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. What is shaking this fine spring, uh, spring morning here? So... For those of you that know me well, I am a warm weather kind of guy, and so I love the fact that the spring is knocking on our doorsteps and we're about to we're about to hit summer. So, which is interesting because I live in Utah and we have cold winters, but this time of year, my uh, my blood gets pumping. I'm I get excited for for the good weather. So, hey, so today we're going to talk about winning the money game, part of building wealth and part of creating this life that you want or this life that you want to design is involves money, right? Money isn't the most important thing, but money is a factor and it's a huge component of building a wealthy lifestyle. So today we're going to talk about winning the money game. And so what what I really want to talk about is what typically is happening in the industry right now versus traditionally what people have done in the past and and what wealthy individuals do. So let's first talk about uh, typical financial strategies that are taking place right now. So when you look at the industry norm and walking into a financial planner's office or meeting with HR, if you're an employee, or even if you're an employer and offering benefits to your employees, this is what's typically happening. People are focusing on retirement plans, government-sponsored retirement plans. People are focused on investing in the stock market because that's kind of the, the main place that whenever people think about investing, that's one of the main places that, that people think about going. And then uh, you often hear about you're in it for the long haul. This is long-term, 20, 30 years down the road, depending on your age, maybe it's 10, 15 years down the road, whatever the case may be. So the question is, why is this? Why is this what's typically happening? Well, at the end of the day, Wall Street controls the dialogue. So how does Wall Street make money? They make money by controlling your money. The more money you're willing to give to Wall Street to use, the more money they are able to make. So they, because of that, they control the dialogue because they're, they're highly incentivized to get as much of your money as possible. So if they're incentivized to do that, where do you think all of their marketing dollars are going? They're going to go to every TV, billboard, radio, internet ad out there, encouraging you to participate in these plans, these government-sponsored plans, or participate in opening a brokerage account and, and things like that. And then also, because that's how Wall Street's making their money, what they've done in, as an industry as a whole, and we've, we've kind of done it to ourselves, is financial planners investment advisors are incentivized by encouraging you to move money into the market. It's this whole idea of assets under management. That's how they're incentivized. That's how they make their living because that's the way that they make their living. And I'm part of that group as well. I have the ability to take assets under management. It's not something that I focus on, but I do have the ability to do it. I don't think it's necessary. I think with today's technology and availability of information, people can If they want to invest in the stock market, they can do that on their own. They don't need a financial advisor to take those assets uh, under management. So if you kind of think about it this way, from a financial advisor perspective, the way that they're incentivized is 
you moving money under their quote unquote management, they will take a fee off of that. And then they're going to invest in whatever portfolio they feel is best for you. Now, it's not necessarily their fault that that's the way that it's structured. It's an industry as a whole. It's as to why that's structured that way. The problem is you as a consumer get less value from putting money into the market because, you know, because of the fees that are taken from it. If you just kind of think about it, you know, a common fee structure is 1%. What that means is for every million dollars that an advisor gets under their management, if you will, they're going to make $10,000 a year. You know, they get a hundred million dollars under management. They're making a million dollars a year just off of fees. And they really have no control over the outcome of those investments. There's very little that they can do to get your investments to perform better than, than just what's going to happen in, in the overall economy. So because, uh, because Wall Street controls the dialogue and the industry is incentivized that way, that's what we're being fed as a society. And that's what's become typical. Right. Like that people just think that that's normal. Hey, I, I invest in these government sponsored plans and, and I put my money in the stock market and, and I wait 20, 30, 40 years or whatever. And, and away we go. So that's kind of the pitch when you look at government sponsored plans. And, and if you're an employer offering these plans to your employees, or if you're an employee that is participating in these plans, like the pitch is this, right? It tax deferral you know, don't, don't pay taxes on that money now, put it in this plan, and then you can pay taxes on it later. So you're kind of kicking the can down the road. And then, you know, tax-free growth, you know, it, we're not going to tax you while the money's in this plan. And you're going to be able to diversify in, in different mutual funds and ETFs and stocks and, you know, different portfolios. And at the end of the day, if you're an employee, you get an employer match. That's 100% return, which is not accurate. But, you know, you get you get free money. And if you're an employer, you get to be able to, to deduct the match that you give your employees. Like, like that's the pitch. That's what we're being sold. Well, the problem with much of that is when you participate in those types of plans, you are locking your money up. You're basically handing control over to somebody else that now has control over what happens with your money or when you can use that money and how you can use that money. Uh, there's fees involved with that. Whenever you're in those types of plans, there's going to be fees. And it's not just a, a one-time fee. It's a recurring fee year after year, quarter after quarter, that you're going to be charged on those types of plans. If you decide to break your agreement, there's penalties, right? This goes back to your giving up control of your money. There's penalties when you break that, that agreement. There's limited investment opportunities inside those plans. Again, because Wall Street controlled the dialogue, the main incentive inside those plans is a Wall Street product, stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, things like that. Those are all Wall Street-based products. And that's the bulk of the incentive inside of those plans. Now, there are ways to get around that in which you can invest in other types of investments. But as a whole, that's where uh, most of the investments lie. And then at the end of the day, so if you kind of think about the retirement plan this way is, you are taking on all the risks. So if you look at it from a business transaction standpoint, so if I came to you and I said, hey, let's get into business together and here's going to be the terms of the agreement. You are going to put up all the money. I'm going to tell you what you can and cannot do with that money once you put it up. You cannot take any profits from that money. I'll, I won't take any profits either. But at a given point in time, when we decide to take profits, at that point, 
I will tell you how much you owe me because of tax deferrals. We don't know what taxes are going to be in the future. Right now, generally speaking, we're in one of the lowest tax environments we've ever been in. So more than likely with the national debt going up and the tax environment, more than likely taxes are going to be more in the future. So that's what society is being sold in those types of plans. And people are buying it hook, line and sinker. They think it's a way to prepare for retirement. And it is a way there's, there's no argument about that. The argument is what we're being sold or what society is being sold compared to what they're actually getting in return. There's huge discrepancies. So going back to this idea of once you put your money in that plan, most of what you're going to be investing in is stock market related, right? So this goes back to this typical planning idea. So when you look at the stock market and and I talk to people all day, every day about investing and and about financial strategies and, and all that stuff. And as a whole, when I ask somebody, Hey, what do you feel like you could expect from just the stock market return? Those answers range between about 10 and 12%. Most people just think, yeah, you're going to get over the long term, you're going to get 10 to 12% return on from the stock market. The problem is, is that's not reality. That number was kind of derived from the heydays of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, probably not 40, like 20 or 30 years ago. And people just continue to perpetuate that idea. So when you look at statistically at the market as a whole, what are the returns? They're way different. For example, let's take the S&P 500. So if you look at the S&P 500 and you look at what it has done since inception, with dividends, so assuming that you're reinvesting the dividends that you're getting, those returns are 11.23%. On average, the returns are 11.23%. So below the 12% number that a lot of people think we're, that you can get. So that's what the average return is. Now, do some assets perform better than that? Yes. Do some assets perform worse than that? Absolutely. But as a whole, 11.23% is the return. Now, when you take that number and you say, okay, well, that's since inception, but what about the last 20 years? Well, the last 20 years, the same index, S&P 500 with dividends, 8.13%, a lot less. What are you, uh, two, three points, almost three points less than the market since inception. Okay, so 8.13%. If you did just as good as the market's done over the last 20 years, you're gonna get 8.13%. Well, if you look at the last 10 years, it's 8.99%. So the last 10 years, a little bit better than the last 20 years. But now take those numbers and say, okay, statistically speaking, and from studies that have been done, how much are equity investors actually getting? We're not looking at portfolio mix. We're not, look, we're not looking at risk tolerance or anything like that. We're just saying as a whole, what are investors getting? So when you look at that number, it's actually 5.25% or five and a half percent, depending on what study you look at. So now you're looking at about 3% less, two and a half, three percent 3% less than what the actual market is getting. So why the discrepancy? Well, the discrepancy happens in fees, right? Because nobody's, nobody's going to invest your money for free. That doesn't make any sense. And I agree with that concept. If I'm going to provide you a service, there has to be a fee. There has to be a mutual exchange in value. You're getting a service and I'm getting a fee for that. And that's the way that Wall Street works. Wall Street is you give us your money and we're going to give you a return on that money. The problem is, is the discrepancy between what people think they're getting 
or they can get versus what Wall Street is actually giving them. And those discrepancies happen in, in fees. So when you look at it and you say, well, if most people think that they are going to get 10 to 12% from the market, and that's what they're planning for over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but they only get like five and a half percent. Well, that's a big problem. I mean, that's a huge problem, right? And that's not to mention that when you invest in the stock market, you have zero control over the outcome of that investment. You have no control over how the market's going to perform. Like when you invest in an Apple, you're just hoping and praying that the CEO or the executive board don't do anything stupid to ruin your investment. So you're taking on all the risk, right? This goes back to when you look at these retirement plans, you're taking on all the risk of those investments because, hey, if the market goes up, yeah, you're going to reap from that. But if the market crashes, that's all on you. The government isn't going to split those losses with you. But at the end, when you're ready to pull money out or when it's time to pull money out, they're absolutely going to take their share. And that's going to be dependent upon what the tax environment is at that point. So what happens? When you look at the typical financial planning, when do you hear you're in it for the long haul? When do you hear that phrase? Most often. Well, you hear it when the market's crashing or the market's correcting. So I'm recording this right now in early March of 2020. The market has just had a huge pullback from, they say it's from the coronavirus scare. So the market has basically crashed over the past couple of weeks in which now it's sitting at 10-year support levels. Well, if you're 20 or 30 years old and you hear the phrase, oh, you're in it for the long haul, that's an easy pill to swallow. You don't have to use a lot of brain power to just kind of get behind that and be like, yeah, 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 I get it. You know, it, it'll recover. But if you're closer to retirement and you spent your whole life under this typical planning environment of, hey, I'm going to put my money away. I'm going to just let it sit there and it's going to grow at 10 or 12%, which is a lie. You're actually going to get five, five and a half percent. Uh, I'm going to let it grow over the next 20, 30 years. And then when I'm ready to retire, I'm going to have this big pile of money that I can then take and ride off into the sunset and spend the rest of my life under a shade tree. Well, if the market crashes two, three, five years before you're ready to retire, that's a problem, right? Like you have no control over, over that happening, but your portfolio has just taken a huge hit because of things that are, that are outside of your control. And that's where typical financial planning comes into place is they're like, hey, you're in it for the long haul. Don't worry about it. Just, just ride out the storms and all will be well in the end. Well, I've been in this industry for a long time and I actually was, was a quote unquote investment advisor during the 2008 crash. And there was nothing that I could do or for my clients. There was nothing that I could do to help them recover the money that they lost. And there was nothing that they could do. The only thing that they could do is either ride out the storm or cash out and take it, take a huge loss. And that's the problem with this type of planning is they convince you to put your money in their control, whether it's an advisor or a retirement plan or a brokerage account. And then you have no control over how those investments play out. And then in the end, it's kind of this gamble of, did you win or did you lose? Like, did you cash out the right time or did the market crash right before you're, you were going to cash out? And so these are a lot of the problems with that type of planning. So when you're looking at winning the money game, you have to ask yourself, okay, does that make sense? Well, we're being sold on it. Society as, as a whole is buying into it. 
But when you look at wealthy families, you have to ask yourself, should I be considering something different? So what if the typical way of financial planning wasn't in your best interest? What if it was set up to where you had a very small chance of winning? Or what if you looked at what traditional financial or traditional financial strategies look like? What if you looked at, hey, what has traditionally worked? And so notice the difference between the word typical and the word traditional. Typical is what everybody agrees on is normal right now and is what you do because that's what my neighbor does. That's what my boss does. That's what, you know, my, my buddy does that everybody just considers that's normal. But when you look at traditional, traditional looks at what has worked over the long term, like what has worked in the past and has been proven over time. So the question is like, have you ever looked at um, wealthy individuals and what they do to build wealth and to have money and to have this abundance lifestyle. So in my studies and things that I've implemented with my clients and the things that I, I look at is here's a basic overview of the strategies behind wealthy individuals. Number one, they try to maintain as much control over their money as possible. They're not willing to just hand it off to somebody else and say, hey, take care of this for me. They may have advisors and they do have advisors around them, but they're in the details. They're understanding what's happening and and where that money's at and what the plan is for that money. And then what they'll do is they'll store that money in a safe place. Like they're just not giving it to the stock market and hoping all, all goes well. They're storing that money in a safe place. And then once they've got that money stored in a safe place, they start to look to deploy it in different investments. The stock market is just one place people can put money to potentially get a return. And when you look at super wealthy individuals, oftentimes their portfolio in the stock market is the percentage of their portfolio in the stock market is super, super small. Like it's just a small percentage of what they have overall. So what they start to do is they start to look at where can I deploy this capital that it will give me a return. And what they're looking at is how fast can I get my money back? So if I invest $100,000 or if I invest a million dollars or if I invest $10,000, how fast can I get that money back? Because I want that money back in my possession as fast as possible so that it's not out there under somebody else's control, under risk that I have the potential of losing it. So how fast can I get that money back as possible? And then once they know how fast they're going to get that money back, whether it's one year, two years, three years, seven years, then it's the question is, well, what's going to be the perpetual return on that investment? So once I get my capital back, let's say I invest $100,000. Once I get that capital back, what's the return going to be like after that? How long am I going to continue to get a return for that investment? But notice they're not saying, hey, I'm going to put this, you know, put this money away, lock it up for 20, 30, 40 years. They're asking themselves, how fast can I get it back? Can I get it back in two years? Can I get it back in three years? Um, what's the collateral behind this investment? If all goes south, how much is really at risk? You know, what can we liquidate to get our investment back? All of those types of things. They're not looking at, hey, I'm just going to put it in the stock market and I'm going to hope for 20, 30 years that things go well. They're looking at how fast can I get that capital back? And then, the, excuse me, when it comes to taxes, they're planning for 
the lifetime tax implications of their strategy. They're not looking at these short-term incentives. They're looking at from a lifetime perspective, the decisions I make and the investments I make today, how is that going to affect me from a tax burden standpoint over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? They're not looking at, oh, if if I invest in in this program right now, I'm going to get a 10% tax break because that's what the government is going to give me to incentivize me to put it in this government-sponsored plan. They're looking at tax consequences over the long term. That doesn't mean they're not going to take advantage of short-term tax incentives, but they're not taking advantage of short-term tax incentives over the long-term tax strategy, right? So you got to look at this from a long-term perspective. And then what they'll do is they'll create a structure that perpetuates to the next generation and the generation after that. They're looking at how do we acquire this money and this wealth so that we can do as much good as possible and set up the next generation and then and then the generation after that. When you start to look around in your environment and you start to see foundations and things like that, those all started from people thinking about this long-term, the traditional way 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago, and they created a structure in which that wealth is continuing to move forward. And different charities and family structures and businesses and endowments to universities, all that kind of stuff. It's because somebody was planning long-term. When you look at the typical financial strategy or the typical strategy that's being pitched today, that's not going to set you up for any of those scenarios. You're not going to have control over your money. Your money's not going to be in a safe spot. You're looking at short-term tax incentives rather than the long-term tax consequences of your investments you're not planning for the future. Most people are just saving to get through retirement. And once they're dead, the planning is most of their money is gone. There may be a little bit left over for the next generation, but not enough to to really set the next generation up. When you look at the money game and you look at the game you're playing and everybody's playing it, whether you want to play it or not, we're all playing the game because it's a resource that you use in life to exchange value. So everybody's playing the game. The question is, you have to ask yourself, Which game are you playing? So when you step back and you look at the game that you're playing, most people are playing the game in which the rules are structured in such a way that are not in the player's favor. The rules are structured in a way that favor other individuals. They favor Wall Street. They favor the people that are selling Wall Street products. They favor big institutions. They favor the government. That's the game they're playing. And it's not set up or it's not designed to really be in favor of the player. So you have to ask yourself, if I'm going to play the game, because everybody's playing the game, so if I have to play the game, which game do I want to play? Well, if you've got to play the game, you might as well play a game that puts all of the incentives and advantages in your favor, right? To where you're controlling the pieces of your puzzle, where you're controlling your moves, and the deck is stacked in your favor. And that's what wealthy people do. And we'll talk more about this in in other episodes as to the tactics of how that's actually done. But I just want you to look at it from an overall perspective. You've got, everybody's playing the game. So you have to ask yourself, what game am I going to play? Am I going to play the game that favors other people? Or am I going to play the game that favors myself? I would encourage you, consider the possibility that the game you're playing right now is not in your favor and that there are other alternatives. So until next time, thanks for listening. Have a great day. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit my website at www.nicholascjensen.com or follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter 
at Nicholas Jensen underscore. That's at Nicholas Jensen underscore. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because you do not want to miss out. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.